Hey, I'm Sean. And I'm Jesse. And, and we're, we're the, the DMs, DMs of Vancouver. Vancouver. We're two newish DMs who are still getting the hang of the whole DM thing. So we sit down with a friend every couple of weeks and pick their brain on their approach to DMing. So come along as we figure out how to help our players have the best time possible at the gaming table. Hey folks, today we're going to be talking about horror elements and bringing them into games like Pathfinder and D&D. Today we're talking to Nick Taylor. Hey Nick, how's it going? Hi, quite well thanks. How about you guys? Doing Good. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, how long you've been playing D&D and running and all that kind of stuff. Well, unlike uh, many people, I started playing D&D after high school and I started playing um, 3.5 and that's I, I still haven't really grown out of that phase. Uh, so I play primarily Pathfinder uh, these days. It's what I prefer to run in. I do enjoy playing 5th, and I did enjoy playing 4th um, as well. I just I like D&D. And I, shortly after uh, starting, so got to play my first adventure, and then another couple of shorter adventures, and then I took on the mantle of DM for my group and uh, ran a campaign that ran for almost a full year uh and we got to this day many people still tell me that like that was one of their best experiences in dm or in, in dnd and that uh, really surprises me because i know that i could have done a lot better <laughs> yeah and, and taking on the mantle of dm especially when you're starting out can almost feel like a horror story sometimes <laughs> especially compared to what i've read online sometimes oh yeah but let's uh, let's jump into it. What uh, what are some simple ways uh, for players or DMs looking to bring horror into their games? What's some uh, simple ways to introduce that into Pathfinder and D anD D without adding any extra mechanics or anything like that? Um, you can really kind of focus on building suspense. Um, suspense, I find, is and have read that uh, it's much more powerful than surprise. If you let them see it coming, there, uh, there's this horrible shambling creature, and it is like walking down the hallway towards you. You're not sure what it is, and uh, you're worried like, do we do we have the stuff to beat this? Do I have the spells prepared to to fight the undead? It's gonna be a little bit. It's gonna build that uh, the tension and and the the fear, I guess, much more than having the same shambling creature just pop around the corner and um, uh, and say, roll for initiative. <laughs> it, it feels like that's something that, like what you're saying with the players being like, oh, we don't know if we have this stuff. It feels like the players have to have a little bit of feeling of either uncertainty or a little bit of knowledge that they might not be able to beat this thing because that's where that suspense comes in, like Absolutely, that uncertainty. Yeah, yeah uncertainty and and being of unsure uh, where you, your character stands and where they may or may not stand after this fight is is definitely key i think in um uh, in executing horror in these games yeah uh i i also try to make it even more story and character driven it, it really helps the the horror hit closer to home when the players are invested in their characters because if you were if you just made this barbarian last night and uh, you randomly generated his name and you barely have a backstory for him it's going to be a lot less horrible that, uh, when he gets eaten by a mind flare than, you know, this, this lovingly crafted fighter who, who studied under this master. And so, yeah, really developing these characters uh, beforehand can help uh, these the players yeah, get play, attached to their characters. Play, playing as, as fight or the first level fighter is much different than somebody that you've spent time creating a backstory for. But I feel like, feel like when you... When you're talking about character driven, I feel like maybe some of that it feels like some of it has to come out in game because if somebody spends, you know, four hours creating a backstory and then two hours into their first session their character dies, that's different than somebody who's created maybe a little bit of backstory or a lot of backstory, but they're in a you know, in a campaign and then six or seven or eight sessions in they run into something where it's like, Oh no, he might not survive this one. Yeah. Absolutely. What are some good ways to create that kind of uncertainty you're looking for in your players when you're trying to build the suspense? Like, obviously, have them know their characters very well. Uh, if you're starting at a level that's already partially built in, characters can be pretty fragile. But, like, how what's what's a good way for you to get across that they're not sure what it is? 
pretty long last. Well, uh, a lot of it uh, can just come from the flavor of these these creatures. So you you take a um, a creature like a, a Grick is one that I used. Um, it's not something we see very often. It's the little tentacly monster with a, with a with a beak, and it's um, I think it's CR two. It's not um, particularly scary, at least in uh, to adventurers who have magical weapons because it's resistant to uh, to regular ones. And um, and then you kind of you just reskin it. Seems like taking taking some of the monsters that have interesting mechanics, like the Grick in the description. I think it talks about how it drops from the ceilings and it has the like if it hits, it latches on. Like taking monsters that have interesting interesting mechanics, but reskinning them so players don't just go oh it's a grick exactly like yeah. like giving them imagery and flavor text that the players even veteran ones will be like wait what oh exactly. yeah because you could reskin it like a zombie or something and have it drop from the ceiling and it resembles in description a different monster but it's using unfamiliar mechanics to the players oh that's that's good <laughs> i like that yeah and i tried to avoid you know naming the monster when we're writing down initiative, just saying, like, give me a D at this number um, instead of writing down G for Grick. Just just to kind of throw them off and to not let them know just how wounded this bad guy is. That one, I feel like, can be a little bit tricky because players don't feel like they're actually... Like, unless you use descriptions, like, like in the case of the Grick where it's resistant to non-magical damage, you let them know that their weapons aren't working as well versus nothing seems to be happening (laughs) yeah exactly yeah so i think a lot of it is also based on your descriptions so you really have to paint a picture using your words you can't um, rely on your players minds eyes not that there's nothing there's anything wrong with them but uh, you can you can help guide them to see what you see in your mind right the, all of the little horrible things you have going on in there. <laughs> all right. Um, are there any pre-existing horror systems you uh, you use or you can introduce? Um, well, Pathfinder um, recently, sometime last year, released a supplement called Horror Adventures. And in there, it contains some expanded rules for, for fear and uh, for sanity and madness. I'm, I'm currently using the rules for sanity and madness in one of my adventures, and um, what I've seen is that without any like direct mechanical impact on their characters yet, um, they just know that when bad things happen, they might take some sanity damage. I, I asked for some some saves, and it, this has this has caused them to be much more like conservative, much more defensive in their uh, in their playing. Not that they're not taking risks or anything like that. They're, they're still working to, to drive the story, but I've given them a couple of items that, uh, that sound really creepy, but they've decided to avoid using them in case they have any drawbacks. Do you think the, that defensive playing is from them being drawn into that horror mindset, or do you think it's more fear of losing agency over their own character? That if too much, like if they fail a role too many times, suddenly like, the DM is going to have partial control of my character, and I don't want that to happen. Do you, do you think it's one of those, or do you think it's a combination, or what do you think is going on there? Um, I think I think it is helping them get into the horror mindset, right? Because you you want to be you want to be a little bit more cautious when when facing the unknown. If if you just run at every charge or at, at, at every uh, challenge, then in a horror movie you're gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> In, in a horror game, um, a lot of these these creatures that um, that I'm running aren't necessarily the appropriate CR for the effective <laughs> character level of the party. And I'm trying to create these encounters around um, how they can overcome these more powerful monsters. As well as the um, they tend to approach it with, with more of a puzzle-solving mindset. In, instead of just kick down door and smash. Rather than the standard puzzle of, where do I put my sword? Yes, yeah. So going from that, players being afraid of their agency being taken away, how do you do horror without taking away player agency? Because you don't want your players to be 
you want your players to be in that mindset. You don't want mm-hmm. them to be upset or getting mad because like my character wouldn't get scared of this. Like you want them, you want them to feel like yes, my character would be scared of this without you taking control away and saying this is how they feel now. And so how do you how do you accomplish that kind of thing? You know the um, unfortunate thing is that with, uh, a lot of fear effects are just like you're frightened, you start running away, and I think. In that kind of case, you really have to describe, like, just how scary this would be if, you know, you were standing in that room. Yeah, you're you're not necessarily as brave as your character is, but um, this is, they're still human. And this is still very much an awful situation. So, in terms of having their agency taken away, I think that maybe more than in other types of... Of genres um, of adventures and campaigns characters choices and actions really have a big impact on how the story develops uh, in, in horror because um, at least the the way that I'm running it right now is there's a bunch of different threads that uh, that tie the characters to this story and of course how how the plot is is affect or how are these these uh, events are affecting them um, will really determine the outcome of the plot. Like these um, these characters are changing as we go and that is also... So they're kind of getting that uh, character development you get in a horror movie with the character who's, you know, kind of goofy at the start and then things happen and they're much more focused because their character has a joy of life or whatever but they want to actually survive to be able to utilize that. Okay. Yeah. The character development after what they've undergone is is really what this the story focuses on it's it at least you know in, in my games and at least in the game that i'm running right now in my uh in my current adventure we started off i think it was the first real session the one of the characters is a, it is primarily a, a good party one of the characters the rogue is a devotee of the the pathfinder goddess of, of death and prophecy and fate um, and births for asthma and uh and so he as a young child was was taken in and uh, indoctrinated by this church and one of their tenets is that undead are abhorrent they you know it's it's a disruption in the cycle of life it's keeping the souls from from going on to their afterlife and uh, they have no place in the world of the living one of the other characters is a um, is a spiritualist, which is a class in Pathfinder that that gets a spirit companion. So we have somebody who hates undead, and we have somebody who has uh, a spirit floating around behind them. It definitely makes for some interesting role playing experiences. But um, this particular event um, happened after their uh, their first fight together as a group, and they. Uh, they had fought uh, a few homeless vagrants um, that were squatting in this um, abandoned uh, estate that they were investigating. And one of the vagrants had gone down in, in the fight and was, was bleeding. And the, the rest of them had, had surrendered. It was, they said, all right, the, you guys have weapons, we have bottles. And, um, and so... The, the spirit uh, is a spirit of kindness, and um, that was kind of like her defining trait in, in life. And, uh, and so she went and, and stopped the bleeding of, of this uh, homeless man. And one of his friends like, picked him up over his shoulder and, uh, and was about to carry him out into the, into the evening uh, and away from the party when uh, the rogue says... I draw my dagger and I stab him. And the party kind of went, oh my god! And uh, I, my first reaction was very similar, uh, oh my god. But, uh, and then I, I stopped to listen to his reasoning. And I, I rewarded him for this with uh, inspiration, which is a fifth ed thing. But I like it, so <laughs> <laughs> I've moved it to Pathfinder. He says that, uh, he, he goes on to explain that the spirit has no right to be amongst the living. And this man would have died without the spirit's aid. So for him to continue living is, you know, it's completely wrong, according to his 
his view of the world. And then, in character, the, the party gave him a lot of flack for that. And I, I can understand, but out of character, I think it was amazing. It, it was a great choice by a, a, like a lawful neutral character who's, who's following his data. And, and then later on in, in that adventure, near the end, once they had experienced various um, horrors and awful things in this, in this haunted house, they were attacked by a group of insane asylum patients slash cultists who were being possibly mind-controlled by this um, dark, imposing figure. And, uh, and so these patients mobbed them, and they managed to uh, knock out a few of them and, uh, and eventually disperse the rest. And uh, then the neutral good cleric decides to... He, he pulls out his cursed sword and executes one of them. And everybody goes, oh my god, no! Uh, we have a bunch more in-character stuff. And it was, you know, these character choices have made a humongous impact on... Uh, I, I, I didn't make the cleric roll any kind of saving throws to... He, he did this, the player did this entirely of his own accord. And it, he said that, you know, I'm, I'm kind of starting to... I think that the the sword hungers. The sword is, is called Sever and has a very cool inscription that they haven't been able to decipher yet. But, uh, and yeah, just through there, like, uh, I'm not taking agency away from them. They make these choices that really kind of add to the horror, I think. I'm, I'm very proud of them. <laughs> it's always great when players take like an item like because yeah. you've told me a bit about Severinus this cursed sword and been like oh yeah well it has this so obviously it would try to make me do this and I want to do this even though mechanically you're not actually imposing mm-hmm. that yeah, on one no, when, they, when they take it and run as opposed exactly. to being like fighting it the entire time they have to deal with it mm-hmm what are some uh, good ways to use monsters and, I guess, more so NPCs to invoke the mood and feeling of a horror game? Ah, We've okay. talked about monsters a bit already, so yeah. let's focus on NPCs. Um, so I, I tend to uh, to build most of my NPCs from scratch um, in the same way that I would build a character. And oftentimes I will see something on the internet or uh, see something in one of the books uh, like a, a template, monster template or something like that. And um, I'm like, wow, that would make an awesome, awesome character. And so, you know, you spin up a, a story around them and uh, you you conjure these uh, these really creepy characters um, out of thin air. I've got this this dark and imposing figure in my, in my current um, adventure is specifically... I, I saw a template in the Horror Adventures book, and I thought, huh, that sounds really interesting. And then I reflavored it as it was uh, as a disciple of, of this broken god, uh, one of the ancient ones that I made up. And, um, and so he is an insane asylum patient who has this dangerous aura around him that when he, when he speaks to people, you know, their, their minds slowly degrade and um and so the people at the insane asylum the the staff are currently like trying to figure out how they can contain him uh, because he keeps escaping from the asylum and how uh, they can um, you know try and reverse the effects that he has on on the other patients all while you know trying not to succumb themselves and so that is that it's that's just one that uh, they haven't had a good chance to interact with yet, and uh, I'm kind of sad about that. So, uh, when you bring that character around, like, how do you use him, like, through a description or whatever, to kind of create that mood of horror or uncertainty? Yeah. Um, again, I think uh, you really have to focus on the the descriptions of these characters. Like um, this uh, this guy wears a this guy wears a straight jacket. Because of course he is a patient at the at the insane asylum, um, but he just can't be bothered to take it off when he escapes. Um, it doesn't it doesn't bother him. Whereas you know most people would be like, get me out of this. They would want to be out of it immediately. And he 
uh, he speaks in this in this like low droning voice, which is very difficult to you know do myself. So <laughs> I um, I try and uh, get that across when um, when describing what he looks like, what he sounds like, and in trying to engage as as many of the senses as as possible uh, when describing your monsters or your NPCs uh, that have horrific qualities to them uh, will will really flesh them out, really help your, your characters, uh, your players, sorry, bring them to life in their own minds. So when you have uh, an NPC like that, that you've you managed to paint the perfect word picture, the, the players know what he looks like, they know what he sounds like, they know how he walks, how he speaks, and all of that, and then somebody cracks a joke and everybody's laughing <laughs> for five minutes. How do, you, how do you get the players back into the mood after something funny or silly happens in the game? Yeah, um, that happens a lot in my games because we're all so funny. <laughs> I I often you know have a have a tough time holding those jokes back, and I haven't necessarily found the perfect solution. But um, I will usually either uh, suggest we take a break, or we we just power through and uh, and keep it going, trying to recapture that mood. If, if you take a break, it uh, gives people a chance to get um, all of their, their sillies out and, uh, you know, they can crack a few more jokes. Um, you can grab some drinks and snacks, take, take a bathroom break, um, and then try and focus yourself, get yourself back into character afterwards. If you want to power through, um, it's perfectly reasonable if it's just like a real quick distraction, like uh, uh, not necessarily laughing for five minutes, but somebody makes a joke. And there's a few snickers, and the mood hasn't completely been ruined. So I've also noticed that in either case, if you turn up the creepy music or, or change it to something else, it can it can really help uh, bring everybody back to the table. Okay. How do you maintain a sense of horror in your players when they're powerful adventurers? Like, you know, we, we've talked a bit about low-level characters are fragile, or maybe don't have the best gear, but when you're playing, like, a, even fifth-level or whatever, as you start to ramp up in power, how do you keep people from not being intimidated? <laughs> yeah, when you've got a, a barbarian who's, at least in, in like 5th edition, you've got a barbarian who takes half damage from everything and is practically immune to mind effects. He's just going to be like, yeah, it's scary, so what? <laughs> <laughs> how do you, yeah, how do you deal with those like high-powered characters? Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of um, horror fiction, uh, horror movies, and uh, and such involves bad things happening to to normal, everyday people, which higher level adventurers or mid level adventurers are not. And the uh, it's not necessarily whether or not they're they're going to die. These adventurers, uh, because every adventurer faces death uh, when they go out to complete their quests and, and fight goblins. What what the horror comes from is what will happen to them if they survive. And uh, when they're exposed to all of these horrible things, uh, are, they, are they going to go insane? Are they going to turn evil because their cursed sword dictates that they uh, slake their thirst? It's like its thirst with uh, the blood of the innocents? There is complex morality which you can introduce as well so after a few horrible situations you you can confront them with uh, with an experience that is that is more gray than black and white and uh, and then from there um you can you can kind of gauge what these horrific uh, incidents have done to, to your players so it's less uh, it's less who will survive but what will be left of them like left of exactly. the people they were. Yeah. Okay. So, and as they get more and more powerful, you you can move the um, the focus to you know doing terrible things to to them and and doing to doing terrible things to their and their, their beloved NPCs or perhaps the, to the uh, followers of the church of one of one of the players. Uh, sorry, characters. So it's and these things. Will um... well, it sounds like the it, like taking the idea of the the pyrrhic victory and running with it. Like, yes. yeah, you defeated that that big evil demon, but to do it, you had to like do the Diablo thing, and now it's 
its soul is inside of you or you had to 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 contain that evil monastery you had to you know do some terrible things and at the end of it getting the players or the characters to be like oh my god what have i done and throwing themselves off a cliff or something seems like for higher powered adventurers that's that's kind of where you go with it like the horror isn't present in every session Mm -hmm. it kind of maybe comes in a giant shock at the end when they're just like what have i done (laughs) that's kind of the they who become or they who hunt monsters trope yeah Mm -hmm. so going off of tropes what are some good ones that work in in role-playing games specifically well i love the undead and the necromancers who, who raise them i they've been in so many of my adventures er, adventures whether or not those adventures have been horror or not and i in one of my um favorite adventures that uh, that i've run one of the main antagonists was a necromancer um who had made a pact with um the demon lord um who is all about death and and the undead oh like an orcus equivalent orcus yeah Yeah. there we go i forgot the name for a second all right and and so they they'd actually been captured by this uh, this this necromancer and were held in a house on a hill that he had uh, claimed for himself and his allies. And uh, at the climactic scene of of this fight, they were uh, he was jumping around the house through the shadows because of his demonic granted abilities. And um, and the knight charged him. And knocked him off a balcony, like landed on him, and was about to to end him when a mob of zombies burst through the the front door and kind of started shambling into the room. And I gave them the choice. The necromancer said, "You can kill me, and you will very quickly die, or you can let me go, and I will leave this town alone. Maybe you'll see me in the future, maybe not." And um, they agonized over that choice but um because they thought you know maybe we can take this mob there are so many of them and and again that's where the unsurety of uh, of the situation can uh, really help because yes higher level characters are quite powerful but um when you when you show them some pretty tough odds uh, that's when they start doing the math most of our great role-play encounters and stuff come in, too. That's, uh, that actually sounds really great. Also, just useful tip if you need your necromancer villain to survive. Yeah, <laughs> mob of zombies. <laughs> um, and, of course, many adventurers run into undead on their travels. But uh, in order to, to really drive home what makes them horrific, again, just paint a picture. Uh, describe how they move jerkily or twitch every so often because rigor mortis is set in have you seen the most recent episode of game of thrones i haven't actually no there's one i think it's the one fantastic thing they did with the the whites or whatever the zombies in game of thrones are called white walkers white well mm-hmm. i don't know if those are the white the big bads or all of them but anyways there's a scene where there's a whole whole horde of them has surrounded some characters and they're just standing there stock still not breathing, not twitching, just staring down this small band of, of characters. And even sitting on the couch, it's unnerving because, like, humans move. Yes. Like, even when we're standing still, we sway a little bit, we blink, we'll fidget a little bit. The undead, I think, especially if there's a giant mob of them, just being faced with this wall of non-moving things can be unnerving if you paint that picture right absolutely i asked uh, a friend of mine what was one of the most memorable things from uh one some of the adventures that i've run in terms of horror and um he said that from my very first adventure um when they were walking through this forest there were skeletons of various sizes uh that would just stand amongst the trees and watch them with their hollow eyes as they walked through the forest. And I had creepy music going on in the background. And they, like, sh- I could see the shivers run down their spines. And the these, again, these, these skeletons never 
made to attack them. They didn't know why they were there. This world was new to them, uh, so they, they couldn't they didn't have any history to, to fall back on or anything like that. And they had to ask in the next village, um, like, why are there skeletons in that forest? Um, they're like, nobody goes into that forest because that's where, you know, all of the victims of this of this one war atrocity, um, you know, that's where they stalk the forest. So you, you talk a lot, uh, or you mentioned several times that you use music a lot, mm-hmm. and that's obviously a great way to build tension and stuff like that. One, I guess, where do you find some of this horror music? And two, like, what other sources of inspiration do you use when looking to put together a horror game? Yeah, music is a really big one. I will often just listen to a random playlist that, uh, I shouldn't say random, a playlist that people have put together um, to evoke horror and to help you with horror writing. Uh, I either do it on YouTube or on 8-tracks, and uh, there's a bunch of really good ones on both of them. When I hear a song that I particularly like on there, I go and track it down, and I'll, I'll add it to iTunes. A lot of music that I use in these horror games uh, come from video games. Um, I think some of the creepiest music I have found comes from Thief, Deadly Shadows. There's, there's one particular piece in there that, uh, that's from an orphanage slash insane asylum. I've heard stories that yeah, that is the creepiest Shale level. Cradle is the creepiest level I have probably ever played. And... In, in any kind of video game. I remember, like, creeping around, because normally you're the one who creeps. And, again, painting a picture, I came around a corner, and I saw this creature. I hadn't I hadn't seen any of the other ones yet, and it saw me. And then it started, like, jerking and flailing and running down the hallway at me. And I, like, I nearly peed myself. Um... <laughs> And that is one of the things that I pull inspiration from uh, when I'm, I'm trying to get some creepy stuff going in these games. How they move, how, how they sound, what noises they make when they, when they move. I mean, you don't get smell in video games, but... <laughs> so we've already talked a little bit about psychological horror. Like, you know, what, what terrible things did you have to do to survive these horrors? Let's talk a little bit about Friday the 13th slash um, slasher horror and Cthulhu style, like just existential dread horror and how you might use those in your games. Yeah, slasher horror um, in terms of my own personal preferences when it comes to movies and whatnot, not my favorite thing. I tend to rely more on jump scares and just like, oh my God, there's all of the gore. Yes, yeah, gore. I, I think almost... Personally, I find horror that happens off-screen is is sometimes better than when it happens on-screen. Just because, you know, that gets my imagination engaged. Yeah. Then it runs wild. It's why why we're afraid of the dark. What we can't see is always more terrifying. Afraid of the unknown. So, but in in role-playing games, I think that uh, an axe murderer kind of uh, person, a villain, can definitely be scary especially if um they have some supernatural powers behind them you know if you you shoot the guy um with a crossbow you you stab him with a sword uh he goes down you think that the murders have stopped a week later he's back i think that kind of thing could definitely because i i can see where it could be frustrating for for some players as well but like for myself if i was in that situation as a player i I would be like, what? How how do we put him down for forever, right? If he starts threatening the people that we care about, how are we going to keep them safe and put an end to him at the same time? So I think that, uh, that that's one of the ways that you could do um, slasher horror, I suppose, in, uh, in D&D. It feels like that is kind of on the edge of just turning into like a, a puzzle of just how do we stop him quickly rather than that... Because the slasher movies do have a little bit of horror of that, just like, they don't do it well, but they try to do that just oh. like mounting sense of dread of just like somebody just, like people just keep dying, they keep dropping. And sometimes even the final person left left alive doesn't make it. So yeah, it feels like that could be tricky and 
definitely fall into more of that just like well he's back again <laughs> yes I think, yeah i think the problem with slasher horror in dnd is that slash a lot of slasher horror relies on everyone getting separated oh, and it's yeah, yeah. you know when you're sitting at a table with a bunch of other people it sucks if you're constantly getting separated it feels like especially if you keep on having to work hard to get back together if that keeps on happening it it, it feels kind of like a cheat i think it might it would probably work well for a play-by-post or online game oh yeah where you're not having to worry about having everybody like yeah you you have four people at the table and you as the dm are just like so bob i'm gonna talk to you for an hour <laughs> yeah um i i tried to do something uh like that with the the first uh the first session of this adventure uh and i got a little bit of blowback um and i, I completely understand where when they got to this house um i had them roll initiative and so uh, they would begin their investigation of this house in going by initiative. Like, it's your turn, where do you go? Uh, oh, okay, I go over to this room. And then I'll open the door. And then the next person, where do you go? Do you follow him? Do you go into another room? And we did that, and what ended up happening was the party split. And it was awesome. I thought so, at least. Uh, from, from my perspective, it was great. And there's there's definitely... A few things to tweak there, uh, because, you know, when it's it's not their turn, people are just twiddling their thumbs. And when you are explaining things um, outside of combat, they can take a little bit longer. And people don't necessarily have the ability to plan their next action, because they're still, they're still rifling through that cabinet. It also, uh, what I really liked, kind of evoked uh, a, a tension, because... You know, you're already in, in working an initiative. You don't know when a fight is going to start. Or if there will be one. Or if there's going to be a fight when uh, when you open that door. So um, I really like that. Um, if I can figure out a way to do it better, then I may implement it again. But I have... I will, will hold off on it for the time being. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the tricky things about being a DM is trying to figure out a way to bring in a me- like mechanics like that and tweak them so that they're still fun problem ends up being is that usually the best way to test it is to do it yes yeah um so what about existential horror dread where it's more about players or characters discovering that they are playthings of beings of unimaginable power or beneath notice of beings of unimaginable power and how do they fit into a world where they could be their world could be crushed in a Cthulhu just accidentally swiping the wrong way? <laughs> like, how do you do that kind of horror game? I think that or might is, be the most difficult. Yeah, or is D um, D Pathfinder is even well suited for that? Yeah, I um because Pathfinder um in D D can be a lot more combat focused and those interactions necessarily aren't, um, it can be tough. And the even the, the the sanity rules that I'm running with right now uh, leave a lot to be desired. Like, how do you decide when somebody goes mad? <laughs> how do you how do you get the player to to start role playing slowly going mad? And so I'm I'm trying to do that in in this current adventure. And I've over the years I've uh, I've started trying to lean towards a little bit more cosmic horror when when doing horror just because i think it's really cool um and it but it, it can definitely be out of character really tough to wrap your head around you're facing alien things that um that have nowhere near the same thought processes as you and have the same perception of reality yeah, exactly perception yeah. of space time yeah that feels like that's the toughest thing especially as a dm because you have to be running these things whether they're they're minions or foot soldiers or the big elder being thing itself that no matter what you do like players might eventually figure out what your pattern is or something like these are supposed to be unknowable beings but we're only human human. We, we tend to gravitate towards patterns so yeah (laughs) <laughs> another really important thing in um in any kind of horror i think are the are the boundaries that you need to set because in slasher horror in in psychological horror in maybe to a lesser extent existential dread there are there's some things that uh, you really have to clear with your table clear with your group before you bring to the table some 
different people can can handle different types of different themes in horror when you when you put on a horror movie um you you know what you're you have an idea of what you're getting yourself into when you read a horror novel you have an idea for somebody who's never played in a horror adventure you might not know what kind of themes that you're comfortable with what what you're uncomfortable with and what you just can't handle yeah and it feels like you you especially need to make very clear to your players what like that they can speak up at any time they need to be able to press stop they need to be able to put down the book if something is bothering them and they Absolutely. have to, and it especially in a social setting where they if they're sitting at the table and nobody else is speaking up well maybe i shouldn't say anything but they have the players have to know especially in horror games that it is okay to say nope Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i think it's important too as the dm to you know keep an eye on your players and if you're like oh well jim seems actually really uncomfortable with this you okay yeah are you all right (laughs) yeah i think and if you if you're not good at reading body language or you're playing with somebody newish to your table, then take breaks every hour or so, mm-hmm. especially in like some of those more tougher spots of your game that you have planned, so that you can just like take a break. Everybody get some water, have a breather. Hey, is everybody okay? Because I, I personally would feel horrible that if I ran a game and found out the next day or a week later or a month later that the reason why that player isn't coming back to my table is because I just freaked them the hell out and they're not comfortable playing again mm-hmm, yeah, because mm-hmm. like one of the keys of horror is yeah. making people a bit uncomfortable but it's there's a difference between making someone uncomfortable in a way that's like kind of enjoyable as like an entertainment or like a tough like role play challenge and supposed to mm-hmm. just making them uncomfortable yeah like everybody's different everybody has their their own uh things that they can and cannot handle so um myself i I like many different kinds of horror. Um, certain kinds of body horror uh, can can rub me the wrong way, um, and I think I haven't I haven't experienced it at the table, but I've I've done a little bit of reading, I've done a little bit of research, and uh, I know that uh, that you you need to know where your your players stand on these things, um, and you again um, conversely uh, if you're a player, you really have to know when speak up if uh if you've hit that boundary or gone past it yeah it's it's important as a player in a dm for for any kind of game where, where like if, a, if another player or what the dm is doing is bothering you you need to be able to speak up but especially for horror games where you know it's it is a fine line to walk but like you have to be comfortable speaking up even sometimes as a dm like if you set a horror scenario in front of your players and they start playing with it a little bit too much. Like you have to be able to say, like, nope, sorry guys, we're not doing yeah, that. Like I, um, I know that your character is slowly going insane, but I don't think we're going there. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, uh, it, that's one of the things that uh, that you probably want to go over when when you're developing your characters in uh, in session zero. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, it's uh, I think with a horror game too, it's good to you know. Ask your players what some of their favorite horror media is or something, because that'll probably give you, or specifically which horror media they don't like, because mm-hmm. that'll give you an idea of what to avoid, right? Yeah. If somebody really doesn't like it or uh, the thing, like, oh, yeah. maybe skip that. That's also body horror, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any mechanics from other horror systems that you think you could employ in D&D or Pathfinder? Well, I'm primarily familiar with uh, with with D&D and Pathfinder as I've said I've I've looked a little bit at uh, a dark heresy read through some of the books that's a role playing game for um, Warhammer. Uh, Warhammer 40k and uh, I think that that's a setting that could be really good for some horror um, it's really dark and gritty limbs get blown off and uh, people go insane when they when they stare into the abyss and I've looked at adapting um, some of the mental afflictions and, uh, I guess, physical ones as well um, from that rule set. And I've, I haven't have implemented any of them yet, but uh, I think it's a good place to look for, for inspiration for these kind of things. Yeah. And um, there's uh, also there's Call of Cthulhu. They have a very well done, I've heard. Not super familiar with it myself, but I've heard that it's um, 
because it's really what it uh, it revolves around. Um, so I hope it's really well fleshed out. Yeah, yeah. I think the one thing that every everybody who's heard of the Cthulhu game knows that it's got a sanity system, and so if everybody knows that, you feel like it should be. Mm-hmm. It's, it's apparently the core mechanic. It's probably well thought out. So that's like the the equivalent to D and D in horror role play genre. Then. It probably should be good. Yeah, yeah right? <laughs> I think the, the challenge is probably figuring out how to apply mechanics from other games to D&D and Pathfinder, especially games like Dark Heresy and Call of Cthulhu, where you're supposed to be playing as, uh, maybe not Dark Heresy, but Call of Cthulhu, you're playing as regular, squishy, maybe not quite average Joe, but a little bit better. Like, you know, maybe you're a PI who was in the army or something, but... You're not somebody who knows magic, or if you do, you know that it's going to destroy you. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And taking mechanics from games where the central premise is you are weak and you are going to die into a game like D&D or Pathfinder, where at level 20, you are a physical god. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, I've heard good things about, I think it's called 12 Candles I or 13 that. Candles. I, I haven't <clears throat> played it, um, but basically the core conceit is that you have these candles and as they go out things get worse and they create atmosphere because you play in a dark room but on top of that is like people can put them out but you know candles sometimes just blow out or burn out mm-hmm. so just pure chance in your environment can change the way the atmosphere is feels like it, it'd be like a wonderfully moody game until there's just like two or three candles left and it's just like I can't read my sheets yeah, I, I think that's the problem with it as far as adapting it to D and D, is like it would help create atmosphere, mm-hmm. but I don't know mechanically it could work once you get to the point where you can't read stuff. Especially with D and D, which I've seen enough character sheets to know that eventually those just turn into Rosetta stones of <laughs> dense information. Yeah. yeah. The next game I'm playing is I'm I'm reprinting my sheet every level. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> um, um, another really. Very simple thing um, that I, I found somewhere on the internet uh, in one of the holes I've fallen down um, is something just called like horror story, and I think it's maybe a paragraph long, but it basically says you get a group of friends together and um, you uh, the storyteller um, randomly determine who's the survivor, maybe by a die roll or some other similar randomly generated number and and then that one person is the survivor so you 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 start telling a story um the other um the other players have maybe they're just playing themselves or uh they come come up with character concept pretty quickly and uh, and then you just you start telling your story and there's um, there may or you don't have to add dice to it if you want, and then everybody just starts dying. <laughs> like you, you start killing them off, and they don't know who the survivor is. Um, and the survivor isn't necessarily invincible. Uh, so if they if they throw themselves into danger, you know you can be like, okay, you've given up your survivor status. Um, it's going to pass to the person on your left saying to yourself in your head um, <laughs> as a storyteller and the it can also be passed on to somebody if the survivor goes and sacrifices themselves uh, to, to save them so I again I've played primarily Pathfinder and um, uh, and D&D so I wonder if you can introduce elements of Dread they um, I think it's called Dread it's a game where you basically you play Jenga and every time you take some sort of action, you remove a block and place it back on. And the idea is when it falls, somebody dies. Ooh. And since you see how unstable the tower is getting as you go, you get more and more kind of tense. Tense. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's pretty good. I kind of like that. Yeah. Um, there's, a, there's a tabletop episode about it. I'm pretty sure it's Dread. So what's a piece of advice that you wish that you could give to yourself when you first started running horror games? So to quote a, a friend of mine whom I asked about you know, horror games that I've run in the past, one of the things he said was that horror is not about jump scares or scary looking monsters. 
It's about uncertainty and feeling unsafe, even when we definitely are safe. Instilling that uncertainty in your players. It can be easier or harder to do, depending on, on your players, um, how much they want to get into you know, character versus player knowledge. And by reflavoring, reskinning some, some monsters, changing up some of the, the, the mechanics, uh, you can do that. This vampire is weak against silver. You hit him with your silver sword and your sword mounts. That would, uh, you know, probably uh, drop the, the stomach out of any seasoned adventurer. And, and as well, uh, I said earlier that suspense is much more powerful than, than surprise. So if they can see the axe murderer stalking towards them, they, um, they have a chance to prepare. You can be like, okay, do I need to... Uh, I'm going to quickly cast a couple of buffs on you guys, and I'm still not sure if we're going to be able to beat this guy. Because, you know, he's, he's killed yeah, a lot two, of people. <laughs> two things that occurred to me is um, one of the most famous uh, video game horror antagonists is Pyramid Head. And part of the reason why he works so well is that like, you see him dispatching other monsters with ease. You can't hurt him. You don't know if you're hurting him. And he is just implacable, slowly, slowly stalking you. And every time, at least in the, the second game... You never really fight him. You're just trying to figure a way out of the room that you're in. Yeah. Um, and then looking at like Game of Thrones, like whenever the the White Walkers encounter fire and they just slowly walk towards it and the fire just goes out, like that could be a really powerful suspense moment in your games where you like a player who does magic casts something, casts a buff, and as this thing gets closer, it's like you just feel those effects like melting away. Like those kind of moments where you can just like ratchet up that suspense by being like, yeah, you don't know how powerful this thing is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Nick, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode. Our logo and other artwork is done by the wonderful Haley Boros. Our theme music is Overworld by Kevin McLeod. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and subscribe on iTunes or Google Play. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at DMs of Vancouver, all one word. We'd love to hear from you folks about topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Lastly, if you want to help us out, we've got a Patreon account where you can become a patron for as little as $1 a month. Each little bit helps, and all the money will go to making this podcast as awesome as possible. See you next time, folks. Roll for initiative!